it, it's su such hard work. You get sort of 300 blokes in a field hitting each other, and you just like <laughs> it's, contro it's controlled chaos. And you just think, oh god, I, you know, you know, I've done everything I can to make sure that everything is there safe. But let's see what happens. Ever wondered what the creative process is behind the films, TV shows and theatre productions you watch? Well, Crew Chats is a new podcast going behind the scenes and chatting to the crew that help make these productions. I'm Poonam and I usually work in the costume department. Whenever I tell people what I do, they're always fascinated. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool to hear more from the wonderful people who work behind the scenes to make the films and shows we all love? Today's guest is Tim Lewis, who had always been creative, and with the intention of pursuing a creative career, he studied model making for design and media at the Arts University Bournemouth. After graduating, Tim got his first job on the historical epic Alexander, for which he was making the costume armour, and had the opportunity to travel to both Morocco and Thailand with the film. Tim then went on to work in various departments, including props, model making, special effects, costume, and then also began doing small jobs for the armoury department after meeting armourer Simon Atherton on the film The Kingdom of Heaven. Eventually, Tim was working solely for the armoury department. He specialises in design and manufacture of a multitude of weapons and the accessories that go with them, as well as going on set with the armour. Tim has worked on productions such as Snow White and the Huntsman, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, Macbeth and The Old Guard, to name a few. Hi Tim. Um, hi, hi Poonam, you're right. I'm good, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, I'm not too bad at all. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. Um, I'm looking forward to discussing what you do because I, before being in this industry, didn't know it was a thing. I think loads of people out there <laughs> listening may also not know it's a thing. Um, so you're an armourer. Yeah. Now, yeah. my first question in relation to that would be then, what does that involve for you? Well, I when people ask me what I do, I, I think the sort of in short term is I design i make and i supply weapons for film and tv um that's the sort of shorthand version of it then we have a sort of another part which is we take those weapons to the film set and look after them or throughout the production so there's sort of two sides to what i do um like a seesaw you do the making side and then you have to when principal production start principal photography starts you then have to go on set with a team and look after it and make sure that the actors and the background uh, artists, they know how to use the weapons and to look after them uh, properly and to not hurt themselves as well. And, you know, technically also we are carrying things that are not always legal in society and we have to make sure that uh, police are informed and all the correct Forms have been filled in to make sure that we can carry them into places of public where we're filming and, and, and all these things. So, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a weird one. It's not, not like many other jobs on a film set, I think. No, it's uh, really, really interesting. Actually, you've mentioned the sort of like a legal aspect of what you do. Do you mm. require, I don't know if this is like an American thing, actually, because I was sort of mm -hmm. reading into it, but do you require a license? So there are different there are different levels. So there are a few different companies in the UK who do armory. Um, but as you refer to, America is a totally different place. You know, yeah. guns over there are easily available, whereas over in the United Kingdom, they're very much not available yeah. and they're totally illegal. And so only a certain amount of people own a license to store those weapons and use them on a film set um, and so that is the firearm side of it 
and so those companies deal mainly with that but also it's not always guns we often have sword films or uh you know any number of science fiction things that you know whatever you can dream of that has a weapon yeah you know it, it needs to be supplied and so if you're dealing with the the sword side of things and let's refer to it as that uh, is um you don't need to have a license so you know not anyone can take it up but you know you know just as long as you know what you're doing and um know who to talk to you know regarding you do have to speak to police maybe if you're dealing with certain weapons knives things like that yeah you have to inform them but uh, you wouldn't need a license um, and, and actually, in the eye of the law, you can only carry certain weapons, bladed weapons, if you are using them, if you are the armourer on the film supplying the weapons. So you have to have the paperwork to back that up. So a kind of a licence. in a way. I see. OK. It's yeah. Out, yeah, that's I guess there's a lot of work that goes into that side of it as well, just making sure that it's all proper and... Um, yeah legal I guess (laughs) yeah yeah exactly exactly and uh, as I said you know not that many other departments have to deal with all of that so um and and there is you know the the government do ask that you know when a replica weapon is on a film set that there is someone specifically there whose sole job it is to look after it that's the technical jargon I suppose so you mentioned replica weapons and Mm -hmm. um in terms of your replicating something that I guess it is determined by the film that you're working on, in those situations, how do how does that work? Well, to start off with, you have to sort of say what what is the production that you're that you're doing. Hmm. So, if let's say for example you're doing a uh, a sword film, the first thing my job requires me to do is to speak to the director or the production designer and get an idea of what it is that they want to achieve from the film, uh, what the look of the film is, anything like that. And then because there's sort of a few main categories, one is trying to replicate a period as ex- correctly as possible. And so therefore, weapons must be how they were in that period. Or you have a director who might want to, who might say, I don't care if the weapons are period correct. I just want cool looking weapons, yeah. in which case you go off and you will d- take a different uh, d- angle in your design of those weapons and selection of those weapons. So that's the first thing is, is finding out what they want. So I'll go through a design process with them to try and find out uh, if what I'm thinking of is what they're thinking of. And, and I think that's the sort of key part to the beginning of my job is to try and take on board exactly what the film is. So um, absorb as much as possible, constantly absorbing information and then going out and researching. Yeah. And that's a really exciting part is just research, say, taking it all in. And and it's something that never really stops. You know, you're always going, oh, what's that? What's that? That's cool. That's kind of weird. That's a great picture of something. That's something in a museum. Going to museums, taking on, you know, historical stuff or, you know, even trawling the Internet for weird people, you know, weird designs of guns or whatever, things like that. So you just constantly got a stock of ideas that's evolving. And and, and I think the weird thing about weapons is that... (laughs) is that uh, humanity's used them over thousands and thousands of years. And so they've evolved to become perfect at what they do. Yeah. Do, do you know? And, and it's just yeah, I know what of... you're saying. It's like a weird, 
it's like it shouldn't be the case but it is <laughs> no <laughs> it's a really it's a really difficult thing to talk about and it's 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 quite pertinent in hollywood at the moment what weapons are you know is something to hurt another person and how much do we want to portray that on screen and that can also uh, affect what we design and, and how, how we do it uh I don't know if it's too morbid to talk about really. No, I think it's a really interesting, it's a conversation, it's a conversation that has to be had because I think um, when you watch anything, they it mm. forms to a degree um, your view of the world, whether it reinforces it or changes it, or yeah. you see things that are going on in other parts of the world that you may have not, you're not, you're not going to experience, mm. so it opens your eyes to that. And if it's, when it's something that involves uh, weapons, whether it be, I, mean, I guess there's a de- obviously associated with that is a degree of violence then as well. Yeah. It is a, it, you're, you're completely right in saying it is a conversation to be had because the, it is mm. a, a weird thing. On one side, you're there creating something um, design-wise and aesthetically beautiful, but the purpose mm. is something not so beautiful, like it's quite unpleasant. Yes. So there's like yeah. a weird juxtap- a juxtaposition. Yeah, a juxtaposition. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It is, and it's... Um, to refer to a film I recently did um, which came out which uh, the old guard um, which I did for Netflix and that was it was it was based on a comic book which is very graphic and very weapons orientated and so you know for me that was great I could just go oh look there's loads of stuff for me to get involved with but when I spoke to the director she was very much like I I don't want to be glorifying any of this and neither did the um, lead actress. It was like, you know, we don't want to be over glorifying it, but it's integral to telling a story about how these characters are. And so it was a really fine balance. And so therefore you, you would go into that and think, all right, we're doing guns. Bizarre thing about it was it was guns and swords. It was sort of, uh, so that's really interesting, but the guns weren't over the top guns glamorized guns if you know what I mean they were there to do a a job and you know we're not there to sort of say look at these cool guns we're just saying the people use these things they know how to use them because they're soldiers and warriors but we don't want to glorify them so the flip side of that is that people really like the bladed weapons that are in it as well and they do become a bit glorified so but people can sometimes um with historical weapons they can kind of distance themselves in a way um it's difficult with things that are in the news like large knife which are used yeah but with a historical weapon sometimes people can just take that and go okay all right we can put ourselves you know that was hundreds of years ago so we can and we don't use those weapons anymore like a sword or something so maybe we can distance ourselves from it so yeah I guess that's true it's not something that you're gonna it's not in the news is it I get like no, you say no, no. no. So, yeah no. I, can, I guess I can see why people sort of distance themselves it is an interesting conversation though especially considering what's going on um, yeah in society today generally across yeah. you know so yeah it is a, a fine balance like you say mm. but um I guess we're addressing the the film side the, the film the, side the of te- it the, yeah. yeah the technical aspect of it as well yeah. we're, uh, we're lucky we're lucky enough to be the people who usually make the thing that goes on the poster oh yeah that's it, true it, it, very very often our work is on the poster with the with the actor or actress it's a bizarre sort of thing that happens and i recently a producer just sort of sent me a, an email 
saying you know you should try and get a bonus every time you get your work on a poster <laughs> and, I said, and then he went and he said obviously I wouldn't allow it but you know it was just like it was just sort of you, it is a funny thing and and Simon always says it you know you look we walk down a corridor in Pinewood or something you go yeah look sword sword gun gun yeah so it's um yeah it's 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 a funny thing and I and it's trying to try to understand why that what, what it is about weapons that that makes them sell films if you know That's what I mean true. yeah what why why is it the weapons that are featured on on them and what what is it about the human uh condition that attracts people to them so and I still I can't get to the bottom of it <laughs> so um, yeah yeah actually do you know that's really made me think because actually if I think about Bond the Bond posters he's yeah. always carrying that gun yeah 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 that's true yeah uh, you can look through there's so many posters and you just go oh yeah he's got his sword on him or he's got his gun with him it's like okay yeah why is that so and maybe uh, you know for fear of getting into a, a psychology uh no, talk, no, go for it. is it does it portray strength is it you know is it sexy is it what, what is it is it something that we will start to see less of as people push back against it um i suppose it goes back to what we were talking about earlier even though in one of the jobs i was doing they wanted to not glorify the weapons they're still yeah. on the poster they oh, still really? what they're using to sell it yeah that's so, interesting yeah it's it's very uh it, 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 I, like most of hollywood it's very counterintuitive or very not counterintuitive <laughs> it's possibly hypocritical yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. no that make yeah I guess in a way, like you say, it also gives you a context of that character quite quickly. Yeah. Mm. yeah that's really interesting, actually. I've never really thought about that. That's going to make me... Now I'm going to notice it every time I see a film poster or a trailer or something. I'm going to be like, that weapon, weapon, weapon. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I did I did look back through... Well, after the producer sent me that email, I did look back through the jobs I'd run. And I went, yeah, no, I think I've every every job I've done my work's been on on the poster so it is and I just go oh my god I've got to keep that up (laughs) (laughs) now you set yourself a bar (laughs) yeah 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 so so actually I'm going to circle back to your beginnings um (laughs) how did you get into what you do I've always been doing creative things I've always been making um from from school went to uh very musical school and therefore we were performing so things like that were sort of natural and then then when I I moved schools and was just doing a lot of you know artistic things painting drawing um had a great art department who they it was they almost they had a separate art block which was full of two great teachers uh, who were characters and who would just sort of talk to you about art and you just get absorbed, you absorb it all. And um, they were really influential. And so myself and a friend, uh, we used to make animations as well. This was, this was claymations in the time when it was quite hard to do. We, we would make these animations and put them into festivals and, you know, go and uh, take part in that. And bizarrely enough, um, the same software and technology my kids now use every day on an iPad um, and it's like they just you know they could do that but for us it was like wow that school's got this and we can do it um, so we did that and then from that um, we both went off to a, a foundation course in Bristol and I remember being there going through all the different courses and I did 
art and film and 3D crafts. And I remember talking, they said, well, so what do you want to do? And I said, well, I don't know. I, I, I quite enjoy the film side, having done the animation, but I also really enjoy making things. And they said, well, look, if I were you, I would go down the making side because you can always get into film from making, but you can't get into making by doing film. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So I was like, okay, all right. Um, and then the back of the animation uh, side of things, I was really interested in Ardman Animations, who are based in Bristol, who did all the Wallace and Gromits and things like that. Right. And I was like, ah. Oh. And being in, based in Bristol, I said, right, I'll write to them. And I wrote to Ardman Animation and said, how would I be able to work for you guys? And they said, well, <laughs> you'd have to go and do a, a course. It's like, all right, OK, it, in model making. Didn't know this existed. They said, well, there's the best course at the moment is in Bournemouth. So oh. I said, oh, okay, great. I'll uh, I'll apply there and see if I can get in. I went down there and walked around, and it was like it was like a candy shop of like, oh my god, this do people do this? It was just <laughs> like bits of costumey things. There were building models. There were product models, things like that. And you go, oh my god, the people actually that's their job is to make models of stuff you know to see how the design aesthetics work before a building is made a small model of it's made and I didn't realize that existed so anyway to cut a long story short spent three years there doing model making and then came out and then myself Sam who I know you've interviewed as well and another friend Mark three of us we just got in a car and we went driving around to a load of different companies just trying to put our CVs out and whilst we were doing that, someone rang who was in a year above us doing costume. And he was at Pinewood Studios working on a film called Alexander. Oh. And he said, are you available at the moment? I said, yeah, absolutely. Um, so he said, well, they're looking for people on this on this film to help in the costume department. And I'm like, OK, we'll, we'll be there in, in a half an hour. So we went, all three of us went along with our CVs, all fresh, put them out. And uh, it was um, Rob. Yes, he interviewed us and he said, can you all start tomorrow? And we just oh. thought, well, this is easy, isn't it? You know, <laughs> you know, how easy can it be to just fall into the film industry? Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I sort of should jump back. I, I never worked for Ardman Animations. So I, I, I never got uh, back to it. So maybe one day. Um, so uh, Yeah, still. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then, um, yeah, so I, then we were making costume or uh, Alexander the Great. So we're doing all the background stuff and doing leather work and things like this, which was something new to us all. And we spent a month doing that. And then suddenly they, tur- they turned around and said, oh, we need to go to Morocco with all of this. And we were wondering if you three guys would like to come with us and help look after it on set. Wow. And we were just like, come out of college. We've just started work and now we've been asked to go to Morocco. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So we we all three of us went out to Morocco. We were working there and then I continued and went into Thailand. So, I mean, this was just like, this can't be real. It's basically uh, a gap year, kind of, but you were Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I then went and did another uh, job straight after that back in Morocco called Kingdom of Heaven, um, doing the same thing, costume standby stuff. And at this point, I was sort of beginning to miss making things because it had kind of evolved away from making and it was now standing by on a film set making sure that everything was you know in order um, but bizarrely at the same point met my partner Steph who was working for the armory department as the painter when we got back to the UK 
I was sort of doing, I decided to get back into making things. So I was working for different companies, just in product models and things like this, probably what I'd been trained to do. And then Steph said, are you available? Because they want someone to make some swords for a film. I was like, okay, I'll come in and met uh, Simon Atherton, who is a fabled armourer who's been doing it for many, many years. Everything I have learned, I've basically from him and just picked it up. I just started doing bits and bobs, little jobs for for him. It just basically snowballed. Sometimes I'd go out and do other bits, but then slowly I was just working for him and just doing armoury. And so I basically fell into it and had no intentions to be an armourer at any point. It just... (laughs) happened and um yeah it's really that's that's how it all started really very bizarre yeah it's got it's interesting how you've got from beginning I think a lot of us do though have the intention of doing one thing and then you can end up in a completely other yeah. time, complete other sort of discipline <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah 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 and, and like, as I said I, I had no interest in weapons but it's one of those things that it's like it's like a Alice in Wonderland, you start looking down there and you go, oh, that's actually quite interesting. Or that's really beautiful. Or, and wow, how did they make that? Oh, that's really fascinating. And so suddenly you build up this sort of love for uh, something that you never had before. So it's really, uh, yeah, uh, serendipitous how these things happen. And yeah. it, it, I didn't know that the job existed like you. Yeah. You start doing it. It's funny how you end up. I think also it takes a few like a few kind people to sort of be that those people that sort of guide you and show you that there is a I guess for you it was Simon like you say that he sort mm. of I guess he must have demonstrated in some way the passion that he has and that sort of filtered through to you likewise yeah um, absolutely of the, yeah. of the armory world um so in terms of so obviously you said you're dealing with um, medieval weapons maybe more contemporary weapons and some fantasy ones as well um you sort of did already touch upon how you kind of start that process but in terms of the making then how does that work um so when we're making the weapons it's i'll take a sword for example there are so many different components so when i make a sword I will usually in wax make the components for the handle. So what we know is a pommel and a cross guard. Uh, You might make those in in wax. Then they would then get lost wax cast as in brass or bronze. You would then uh, also manufacture a blade. And we do that with a CNC router machine. So it, it basically computer done and it basically cuts out the shape and shapes it. Whereas, you know, in reality, a sword is beaten by hand on an anvil and a forge. Um, yeah. We don't we don't have the time to do that in reality. <laughs> so we we cut corners in a way um, by using technology, which wasn't around thousands of years ago. So we uh-huh. we use different materials which look the same. And so we will make the blades like that. Then we would also make a handle out of wood. Uh, usually leather bound and then it's a case of putting all the components together and making sure that they they're solid and able to be used for what they're supposed to be used for but that's only the first part of it because whilst we've got a beautiful metal sword for them to have on the set and to put in front of camera we can't really allow actors to fight with them so (laughs) now we have to mold it We, we we mold it in in silicon 
and then we then cast out rubber versions of that same sword <clears throat> so we would have several versions maybe in hard maybe in soft depending on what the stunt coordinator has got planned for the fights and we would then paint them up so they look exactly the same and then you've got your real ones your rubber ones your soft ones and it's basically a case of having enough numbers of things so that if they become broken or damaged which they often do in a fight sequence yeah, um, that you, you have what's required and that's the other thing about armory is that there's very few departments who are specifically making things which are then used to try and be destroyed in a way. <laughs> Every time you're going to give someone a rubber sword, they're going to try and break it effectively. <laughs> so you've got to make things that are strong enough to withstand that, but not hurt if an accident does occur, which does, you know, it's basically a, sword fights are choreography. And if somebody makes the wrong move, then they, then they can often get struck. So it's a case of making sure we've got all our, our bases covered and that that people aren't able to hurt themselves. But then if you go down a different route, um, if we're making a gun, we could be, it, that's more engineering. So oh. having a team of engineers who can make guns work or make guns from scratch. So that's a very different set of skills to have, I think. So yeah, there. Uh, I might design a gun and I then speak to the engineers about, well, how are we going to do this? What can we get it to do on screen? Yeah. And let's work towards that. And it's, a, as you well know, in the film industry, you generally don't have very much time. So it's very much yeah. research and design as you go. What we'd love for it to do is this and let's work towards that. And, and so, um, yeah, that's the challenge. And it's always exciting and stressful. To, I bet, to yeah. Because, uh, you know, with, with that, say you want to make a working mechanism, you still have to then produce the rubber versions of it. So you've got to get all the design and down and approved before you can then mould it and start yeah. creating all the, the rubber versions. So it's it's a bit of a race against time when you start a job. So, yeah. A lot of um, moving parts involved, especially, I guess, when you say when they want it like you say with engineers and the likes involved it adds another whole element to it and another I guess party that I need to be involved in the process of making something so it's never as straightforward as here's a they here's what we want design it make it and then that's that no absolutely the team is critical and knowing the skills that people bring to your team and using them in the right way is the sort of key part of what I do is making sure that you know I've got the right people to do the right job and I you know can trust them and so just because you mentioned obviously with the extent of which what you can make a weapon do um okay mm. this is a twofold question again it's probably maybe one maybe a silly one as well because it may just be obvious how often are they functioning weapons if it's something like you say like a gun that's mechanic to what how to what extent is it a functioning weapon when it gets onto set so um, i have to classify different weapons in differently so guns and swords are very different things although yeah. they're both weapons a gun usually and um, historically what the film uh, uses is blank firing real firearms oh. so it's, it's the real gun but it's been modified so that it only fires blank ammunition which means that nothing comes out no, no projections come out the end of the barrel when they're fired but the gun still works and actions 
and cycles and there's an explosion and a little bit of fire comes out the front you know that that's what a blank firing weapon does blank firing weapons whilst they are to all intents purposes safe if used properly can still cause harm and so they can only be used for certain shots Uh, so when we're not using those there's a whole sort of raft of new ideas coming in things like airsoft weapons airsoft weapons are weapons and they're they're replica guns Mm. and they're used basically people run around shooting each other with little bb plastic pellets ah Um, and this th- that whole hobby has become so big that the manufacture of airsoft weapons is massive and the different weapons that they make. So you can almost it, it, it's quite easy to say, all right, well, they've asked for this gun. We could probably get it in, a, in an airsoft as well, ah, just so long as you can make them look the same, because there's so many different variations of each weapon. So that's a key factor in something like the old guard which i did which they were doing a lot of very close combat which we weren't able to do with blank firing weapons it's a case of making sure that those weapons that you can get in airsoft and in real so that you can use the right one for the right section of film without someone getting hurt and then we've got to make the rubber versions of them as well so for for stunt sequences Oh, geez. so it's it's a whole yeah there's there's a whole field of different ways that we which we we, we cover it um but as as far as things like swords go there's very little you know swords knives things like that there's very little difference between what we would put on a set and a real one yeah. apart from we don't generally put sharp blades on a film yeah. set just because you just don't know what's going to happen yeah. <laughs> So, rescue the um, disaster, I guess. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so we always, um, always blunt weapons unless there's a specific action in which requires the blade to be sharp, and then it, you might have a sharp weapon on set, but it'd be very, very closely monitored. Okay. So, if we're going down the route of talking about different weapons, I suppose the other field, which is probably one one of the most scary ones, is is um, archery. So bows and arrows. And, oh, wow. cross, and, and crossbows as well um, and there's very specialist guys who come in and deal with that um, you know I, we have a great bow maker Steve who's been doing it for years with Simon and with other armorers he makes hundreds of bows every year he is able to teach people how to loose a bow properly you know because a lot of the time we don't want to actually be loosing arrows around a set no. <laughs> so <laughs> We, it's, so it's a case of making sure that we're dry, what we call dry firing. So um, a lot of the time now they're added in in visual effects. So it looks like you're doing it. And then things like crossbows, crossbows always have to look like they're loaded. But if you walk around a set with a loaded crossbow, it's extremely dangerous. Yeah. So we have to make crossbows that to all intents and purposes look real, but don't have the capacity to, to shoot a bolt at full speed. So, so yeah it's that's part of what we do is smoke and mirrors <laughs> trickery yeah. um, <laughs> um you spoke about on set now you you did mention earlier on part one part of your job is also then taking the the um 
weapons the things that then you also carry weapons in whether it be sheath or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. that is is then mm-hmm. taking that to set um what does that mm-hmm. part of your job involve once you're there well so we don't only supply weapons we also we also make the things that hold the weapons so for example we make the if it's a sword it's got a scabbard the scabbard's attached to a belt so first things first is to make sure that that all works with the costume so always what i think one of the key things is working really closely with the costume department the costume designer making sure that what we manufacture is what they want so that's like a key relationship the armorer i think so what usually happens then is we would then take a medieval film we would have a, a truck full of our kit and we would take the actors swords and belts and scabbards onto the set every day and then we would tie those belts on so in the correct way each time in a sort of period period correct way and <laughs> um, then dependent you know we're then selecting whether or not which version of the weapon they should have at any one time so if they're you know just acting and it's all very calm and quiet you know they have the real weapon in there um if it's you know a fight sequence making sure they've got the right version of that sword so that's that's what we do and then we've got battles battle days so we might have 300 extras in in one day so making sure we've got enough team to cover that making sure we've got the setup to arm everyone as they come through in the mornings and disarm everyone in the evenings making sure that there are enough people on set to be able to deal with the stunt requirements so when a stunt happens someone's being flung through the air they've got something lightweight and soft which they can throw away you know things like that it's just those are the sorts of things we do on set every day yeah it's uh keeps us busy it does it sounds like it's um it's funny because even though I sort of know part of that process obviously the being on set and then dressing Mm. and all that kind of stuff is for each department it really surprises me how different that process can look or the different complexities that each department then faces with that process of taking things to set so no it's really interesting and so many things I didn't know about what you do so it's interesting (laughs) for me yeah yeah it's um and I think you know the difference then you know let's say you're doing a firearms film is the responsibility you have on on that set once they actually start using those firearms is the safety aspect as well and uh having to deal with all of those problems and making the, the right calls and how the distance that you have to be away from each person and things and the ability to spot spot if yeah. there's a problem and then make sure that you're you know able to call a a halt to any filming that might jeopardize safety in any way so um sometimes it can be quite a responsibility yeah and and, and, you know especially during a huge battle let's say and you just you won't get much sleep the night before because you just think you hope you've covered every base and make sure that no one gets hurt because that's the one thing we just don't want to have happen is is for anyone to get hurt or anything like that and so it's really it, it's su- such hard work you get sort of 300 blokes in a field hitting each other and you just like <laughs> it's, contro- it's controlled chaos and you just think oh god i you know you know i've done everything i can to make sure that everything is there safe but let's see what happens so I'm, I'm it's ass- always a relief when it does go well I was, I was gonna say and i'm assuming more often than not it usually pans out very well <laughs> yes yes more often than not um so this brings me nicely on to uh, my final question, which is what are your three favourite talks <laughs> recommendations? 
when you asked me this, I thought, oh, where do you start? To be honest <laughs> with you, I I have two kids, so basically all I do is watch kids stuff constantly. <laughs> but having come into quarantine, <laughs> I've been watching films, <laughs> adult stuff. Is, yeah, which is the first thing I've done in ages. I, I've what I've done is I've broken it down into three different things. Yeah. So. I thought, what was it that got me into this in the first place? It's either Wallace and Gromit or it's Star Wars. And I can't decide. (laughs) You can have both. (laughs) Can I? Yeah, of course. That counts as one of them, all right? Yeah. (laughs) Wallace and Gromit was just sort of, as I said before, it's animation. It's what what led me to take the path I took and wanting to work for Iron Man. So that was, that was... The, the first thing but star wars was just that i just was probably obsessed as a kid with it I, you I then watched a film called embrace of the serpent oh. i was in lockdown which you may or may not have heard of I've not heard but it's it's really beautiful and it's it's based in the amazonian jungle in the sort of early 20th century oh. and it's about a shaman who is the last of his kind and he's visited by I think it was 40 years apart, two different explorers, one from Germany and one from America, all looking for a plant. Oh. And so, it, and it's, it's filmed in black and white and it's just, it was, it's, I think it's a 2015 film. Oh, okay. Like that. And it's, it's really, really beautiful, but it's sort of also the whole meaning behind it and it, the, the kind of death of the culture at the same time is really interesting. But it also sort of, reminded me a bit of a film work called Apocalypto that was one of the things that kind of tipped me into the fascination with weapons and the research side of it so it's we, we did loads of Mayan weapons and I remember working with Steph uh, my partner and, and Simon in the workshop we were just coming up with all these weird historical weapons that they had like um, things called atoll atolls which were for sort of flinging arrows and and obsidian ring like they're a bit like boomerangs but they've got obsidian in them uh, which is like this I can't explain it's it's a bit like glass it's like a natural thing and that's what they used to have it was really sharp and they used to make their knives out of it and their clubs and things and yeah it was and, and that side I mean I wasn't doing the research Simon was researching it and saying look at this look at that look at this and you go oh right wow look at that and we're sculpting things carving things so that they would uh, in a different way and I've not been lucky enough to do another project from there from that period but it it was really fascinating and you know you just think okay it's it's not all just you know guns or swords in a way there's so many other little niches you can go down as well and a different sort of knowledge to be gained so you know from different periods in history and finally I this is probably a real curveball but the repair (laughs) shop have you ever seen the repair shop no is it no it's a tv program it's basically there's a group of people fix things in a shed basically what happens is that people each week bring in a broken object that's really meaningful for them ah you follow the repair of it and why i think it's really good is that we make things all the time but it often doesn't have any there's no emotion behind objects whereas these people i mean i know they build it up but it's like (laughs) you know they're crying about these objects that that maybe like 50 years old 100 years old whatever 
that means something to them and it me you know making things can mean things to people do you know what I mean it's like objects mean things to people and then on top of that you've got the for me the interesting way people repair things they've all got their different specializations wood leather metal blah 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 you know all those things but just you know it's a bit like being in the workshop away from the work <laughs> it's just like watching someone go oh is that how you do it is it so it's just sort of oh, I find that fascinating that is a curveball I wasn't expecting you to go there not that like it just just was <laughs> a bit of a random one just as valid though just as valid I think um and you've identified why it appeals to you which makes complete sense um yeah um thank you Tim for your recommendations and thank you for coming on the podcast it's been super interesting thank you thanks thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tim tune into the next episode where I'll be speaking to assistant costume designer Carly Griffith and if you get a moment could you please like follow or subscribe on your podcast platform and follow the crew chats podcast on Instagram thank you